From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook, Microsoft. What do they all have in common? They've all been criticized as companies with monopolistic power that distorts markets and hurts the economy. Some, like Senator and presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren, have talked about an antitrust response that would break up these technology giants. But others are suggesting a different way to attack this problem, through the tax system. Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Romer is one of these people. He thinks policymakers should create new digital advertising taxes to curb technology companies' worst impulses. Romer is a former chief economist at the World Bank, but he thinks the ideal place to tackle this problem is not at the international or even the federal level. Romer sees the states as the perfect laboratory for his ideas. And earlier this month, he testified before the Maryland legislature on a gross revenues tax on digital advertising. Romer spoke to Bloomberg tax correspondent Michael Bologna and discussed his concerns about the unchecked power of big technology. I'm not against using technology. I'm not against using the web. And so my uh, criticism of the biggest firms is that it's never good in an economy to have one or two firms who completely dominate a market. But it's even worse when those two firms are using a business model that has these really corrosive and dangerous side effects, such as the fact that these companies know more about me than the uh, East German Stasi knew about everybody in East Germany. Why do we have to have that kind of surveillance to just be able to use web services? What what kind of strategies do you uh, think government, whether it's federal or state, what what could they use to curb uh, some of these um, uh, monopolistic tendencies or worrisome business practices that you just uh, alluded to by big tech? So what I've suggested is first that any legislature that's willing to do so should tax the targeted digital ad revenue raised under this new model of tracking and uh, targeting. And second, I've suggested that that tax be progressive so that the biggest firms pay a higher tax rate than the smaller firms. This will help create some pressure uh, that slows down, maybe even stops this tendency for all of the power to accumulate in the hands of one or two firms. Do you see states as kind of the ideal laboratory for uh, testing this and then, uh, you know, ultimately curbing these tendencies by big tech? Yeah, I I think uh, we should use, I think it was Justice Brandeis who said that the states are the laboratories of democracy. We should be using the states to to explore, to innovate, to to pilot some of these, these new approaches. At a more practical level, what kinds of state tax structures do you think make uh, the most sense? Uh, Sales taxes on digital advertising, excise taxes, corporate uh, income taxes. Uh, What uh, what makes most sense? This is a very important point. The corporate income tax would be a very bad tool to use because it suffers from a fundamental conceptual uh, ambiguity. Income is revenue minus cost. If a firm collects revenue in one place and then incurs costs in another place, there's no way even in principle to say, where did it earn income? 
So this means that there are all kinds of arbitrary accounting conventions that firms can use to determine where they say they earn income. You know, they can book it overseas. That's a well-known kind of trick. Um, but, you know, within the states, they could easily move income from one state to another. So if one state taxed it, you just move all your income someplace else. So the corporate income tax is just um, a non-starter. Uh, an excise tax where you charge for a particular service is uh, a very straightforward way to do this because it's a tax on the receipts from somebody who's selling a particular service. So it's conceptually simple. It's conceptually clear. There's no ambiguity about where revenue is, uh, is raised. And uh, it's, it's the natural way to, to do this. Uh, I think the difference between a sales tax and a... Um, and an excise tax is that an excise tax is targeted at a particular service. You know, we have, a, we have an excise tax on tanning bed parlors in the United States at the federal level right now. A sales tax tends to be a very broadly applied tax on huge categories. So if you change some aspect of the sales tax system, it has to apply to many different types of, of goods and services. So, for example, if you tried to have a progressive tax on these firms that have such dominant control in digital advertising, you'd have to try and make it, if it was through the sales tax, you'd have to try and make it progressive and apply to all firms. That would be, uh, I think, too complicated to even, to even comp contemplate. So an excise tax is the, is the natural way to do this. It seems like a couple states are already sort of jumping in on this. Uh, Maryland and Nebraska uh, have um, some legislative proposals that they're looking at. Maryland has a plan for a digital advertising gross uh, revenues tax. And, uh, and I think you gave some testimony about that particular legislation. And then Nebraska is um, stretching or try talk about stretching its sales tax to cover digital advertising. Um, is one approach better than the other? Uh, and would you expect some other states to, to join in on this? I think in Nebraska, I haven't been in close touch with them, but my understanding is what they're trying to do is just extend the existing sales tax, partly because I think they think that would be legislatively um, easier. But I think if this is something a legislature wants to do, I would encourage them to just pass a, a new excise tax. I think uh, it's quite possible that once other states see that uh, this kind of new tax is possible, and once everybody realizes we can actually do something about the really ugly and dangerous side of online digital markets right now, we can aim for, we can pursue, have a goal of achieving healthy markets that are competitive, markets where people actually know what they're giving up when they get some surface. There's no reason why we can't have markets like that. And I think most people have just been kind of, you know, they've, they've got this state of learned helplessness. Oh, it's technology. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, we can do something about it. It's our country. We can decide how we want it to, uh, to work. We can decide how we want our markets to work. And I think once other legislatures start to see that, they're going to want to join in too. These state programs in, uh, in, in Maryland in particular are getting some nasty reviews from the business sector uh, with lawyers asserting that there would be disparate treatment, uh, violations of the Internet Tax Freedom Act, and violations of the U.S. Constitution. H how do you respond to that? Uh, are these kind of fears from the business community legitimate? 
Yeah, you know, I've, I've been trying to think about how to respond to this. The problem is, is that there's only so much time that I have in each day, and I could spend the rest of my life trying to respond to misleading statements uh, by all, all these types. So uh, it's, it's hard to know even where to start. I, I think the first thing to remind everyone is that statements that are have to be logically consistent. You can't say, well, this, this uh, product is bad because it's blue and it's bad because it's red. It's either red or it's blue and you gotta pick one. About this tax, people are saying, well, it's bad because it imposes this huge burden on firms that are not inside Maryland. And, it's, and the opponents are also saying, well, it's bad because the incidence of the tax is gonna fall on everybody in Maryland and that we'll lose so much more in jobs and, and uh, economic activity than we'll collect in tax that it's a bad idea. Now again, you kind of have to pick. It's either gonna be borne by uh, firms outside or borne by uh, the, the businesses inside Maryland, but you can't say it's gonna be borne by, entirely by both. Paul, you've endorsed uh, subscription-based models as a better strategy for controlling the worst instincts of big tech companies. And so how is the subscription model superior to maybe an advertising-driven business model that we we see today? Um, And can regulators do anything to encourage big tech to transition to this sort of subscription idea? That's the way markets have always worked. When you try and go get lunch... You don't say, give me some food and I'll, I'll look at your menu or I'll look around the room and, you know, look at what you got plastered on the wall. You go into a restaurant, you pay for your lunch. I mean, this is the way the market has always worked. People pay, they get something when they pay. Um, and uh, there's this bizarre kind of belief now that somehow is better if people don't know what they're giving up and they don't know what's going on. And that's not uh, the markets that economists have written about for 200 years. Those are not the kind of markets where we said there's something powerful and useful about markets. And would you um, suggest that that states perhaps impose sales tax on those subscriptions then? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've been very clear. Um, You know, states need revenue to do important things. Like in Maryland, they're going to extend preschool to three and four-year-olds. This is a great a new program. We know that the returns to society are very high when you do that. So the states are interested in this from the perspective of revenue. But I'm so worried about what this digital advertising is doing to trust and honesty in our society. And I'm worried about the threat that it poses to our electoral system. Would you expect some blowback from consumers? (laughs) Yeah, no, listen, I, I don't buy that. People are smart. All right. They don't expect to get a free lunch if they go in and look at advertising in a, you know, in a restaurant. They don't expect to get free food at the grocery store. So what, what makes everybody think they're going to be like, you know, it's, it's going to be all pitchforks and torches when we say, you know, if you want this service, you should pay something. And if we actually paid for digital services, you know, the world would be a better place. I, I think it, it kind of infantilizes uh, the voters and consumers to say, Oh, they're not going to understand they have to pay to get something. They want everything for free. I, I just think it's, it's not true. And if it were true, it wouldn't be good to support that kind of uh, approach. And then finally, what uh, 
I mean, what, what do you think the landscape would look like in 10 years if either the state or federal lawmakers take a pass on this and, and do little or nothing to curb the instincts of big technology? Well, actually, let's, actually let's, let's be clear what's really at stake here. The reason it's going to be hard to switch from advertising to subscription services is that there are a few firms that get tens, many tens of billions of dollars of pure profit from this advertising model. They're not going to make that kind of pure monopoly profit if we switch to a subscription world. So they're going to fight just, you know, tooth and nail to stop a switch for, to subscriptions that would return us back to a competitive market without these enormous monopoly rents. So, you know, it's going to be a fight. But eventually, you know, we have to decide, uh, is it the voters who are in control in this country or a few rich people? And, you know, we'll see. That's all for this week's episode. For more tax and accounting news, visit news.bloombergtax.com. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Thanks for listening. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Those aren't the only down-ballot races we're watching, are they? In states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Will Democrats be able to defend their majority in the House this year? Will Republicans keep their majority in the Senate? Are there other members who wish to record their presence? Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down-ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. 26, and that is the number of women who will be serving the United States Senate when it swears in Georgia Republican Kelly Leffler. Along the way, we'll cover all of the numbers that matter. So a really interesting thing is how much national security background and experience so many of them are bringing to this job. And interview key players in the congressional elections. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts.